Um, if you're like me, you're probably uh, dealing with the change of weather as well. Um, go from 85, 90 degree weather to uh, cloudy, cold, and overcast the next day. Um, if you're not from Southern California, welcome to Southern California. Um, but uh, so thank you, Brother Mario, for uh, leading us through the service today and our worship team, Pastor Koba. Thank you for leading. What a refreshing time of praise and worship. Amen, church. Amen. Um, we're, we're missing Pastor Nena. She is um, leading worship at um, a friend's church. Uh, they've extended the invitation to have her come in and, and to uh, lead worship there. And, and we're so thankful that we as a church um, are just so blessed. And, and with many folks who are gifted um, in so many different areas, whether it's preaching, teaching, singing, playing, um, giving, whatever it is, organizing, uh, the Lord continues to raise up um, men and women to join in the harvest, not just here, but in the world. Let me say that again. Not just here, but out there in the world. We are the body of Christ. Just this morning at 4 a.m., I was on a live worship Zoom call with Mission Ebenezer in Pakistan. They had over 100 people smashed into their church house there in Pakistan where only 2% of the population are Christian and the, the rest, uh, almost 95% um, are still Muslim and then a few percent of other religions or faiths. But the pastor, Pastor Jonas, asked me to bring a word this morning, which was our morning and their evening. And so they had a, almost a two-hour-long service, and I was there worshiping with them. They had skits and dramas. They had praise and worship, which sounds very different than what we listen to and are experiencing here, more of an, an Arab type of sound, um, which was a new experience for me. And I was praising and worshiping the whole time. They had me on Zoom. And on the back of their stage wall, they had um, a big kind of a huge TV screen where my picture and image was up there as, as they're Zooming me in. Um, it was a little, you know, um, uncomfortable for them, but it was wonderful nonetheless. Jesus doesn't care about any of that stuff. Technology is just a way for us to use it to his advantages and our advantages and use it for good. Amen? And so it was, it was a wonderful time. But all that to say that God um, is, is moving. We can see it all around. God is, is bringing hearts together. Our church is growing by leaps and bounds in both of our English and service, uh, services here at church. Our youth ministries are getting their legs under them. Our young adult ministries are rearing to go. Our children's ministries on Sundays and on Wednesdays, both the Royal Ranger Boys Program and our girls' ministry um, is gearing up 
Our Wednesday night Bible study is starting to grow here in the English service, in our Spanish service. It's doubled in the last couple of months in Transitions Hall. Look, God is raising up people. Look at Sister Amanda and Brother Aaron, how God is just restoring their lives, their ministry, and, and putting into their hands the ministry of the Word of God. Yesterday, we had a young college-age student preach out of the book of Ephesians for his biblical studies program at Biola University, where he's preparing for the academy and being a professor and a pastor, um, Isaac Madera. So you see, God is moving, and God's calling you, and God is preparing you. And he's getting us ready for the work that he has for us. Amen? Yeah. One of the ministries that we've relaunched over the last couple of months has been our discipleship groups. And Brother Mario referenced that. We used to call them cell groups. But we had a name change during the, the pandemic time. And we changed the name to discipleship groups. And discipleship groups are meant to bring people through the Word of God, instill the Word of God in their hearts so that the Word of God can transform them. So those who are facilitating and teaching the Word of God will grow to new levels in their walk with Jesus. And those who need to hear the Word of God and need to grow in preparation for the Word of God and being discipled in the Word of God can be fulfilled in their calling and in their purpose. Many people have come to learn what the Christian faith is all about through our small groups, through these discipleship groups, which meet at various homes all throughout Los Angeles. This is not just one of the ministries of our church. We believe God is calling us as a church, to all be involved. You saw the video on the screen of our baptisms and our ministry fair right afterward. The ministry fair is simply to communicate and to connect with the people of God. Expressing a way in which you as the people of God will either participate and be involved in one of these ministries or you're serving in one of our ministries. And then belonging to a discipleship group. It's very simple. The way that God is calling us as a church to grow and calling you as individuals and as members of this church to grow. There's only a couple of things that we want you to pray about and consider. Number one, that you would get involved with discipleship group ministry. That you would find out where the nearest Bible study or home gathering is near you and get plugged in. And after a while, as those discipleship groups grow and you're prepared and you're ready 
we continue to add and establish more discipleship groups where others will come to know Jesus through the ministry of the mission. The topic that our discipleship groups are going to be teaching over the next couple of weeks is how to overcome deep hurt. We have a curriculum that is prepared and written by our directors, Pastor Dozier and Sandra Uchegbulam, along with Pastor Jorge Ortega, Pastor Cesar Campos, and many others. Brother Enoch Jimenez is our administrative support. But our, our, our desire is that everybody at Mission Ebenezer would belong to a discipleship group. And the other is that you're either serving or you're involved in one of the ministries of our church. It's simple. After you come to Christ or you're new to the mission, you go through our membership class. That way you get the lay of the land. You pray and you invite the Holy Spirit to join with you in directing you how you should go and where you need to be involved and be accountable and where you're known and where you know others. Be involved in a discipleship group and be plugged into a ministry at the mission. You see some folks are involved in multiple ministries and if they're not too overburdened and overwhelmed, and they can manage being involved in a couple of ministries, but we discourage folks from being involved in every ministry across the board. We want people to be able to go deeper and for the people of God to see that there's a great need, even in a church that's growing like ours. Oftentimes, new members to our church or folks coming through see, wow, man, it looks like this church has got it covered. Man, the, 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 the teaching, the preaching, the word of God, the worship, the children's ministry, that the, the ushers. No, there is so much that is needed. And oftentimes we stay back. We stay uninvolved. Or we think we're not ready. Or we think we're not worthy. Or we think we're not qualified. Well, God will let you know where you need to serve. God will point you in the direction that is best fit or suited for your calling, for your, your ministry for your gifts that he has already given to you. He's going to reveal that to you. He's going to show you where he wants you to plug in so that you can begin to grow. Many times people think, I need to, I need to grow to, to this certain level before I start to serve or before I can be useful in the ministry or useful to the Lord. And you know what? Let that be for your leaders and your pastors to help you discern where you're at, you're at in your walk with Jesus and where you can be plugged in so that you can be equipped and be sent. Can I hear an amen? amen? Go ahead, give God a hand of praise. So please, on the back of uh, your chairs, there's a QR code. There you can find all of our information for our discipleship groups. Right now we have approximately 10 in both English and Spanish, more or less. We're looking to start more. Um, we want you to be involved. We want you to say, if you're not ready to facilitate or be the, the teacher of the group, that you pray about opening your home so that someone else 
may be able to come and assist and join you there in your home as you provide hospitality and service unto the Lord and service to others. We need a lot of that. Pastor Dozier and Sandra um, would love to connect with you and direct you in the way that God would have you serve and be involved. Here in the Welcome Center after the service, you can come and, and greet our pastors and hear more about the discipleship groups so that we can get you plugged in. Amen, church? Amen. 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 One last round of applause. All for the glory of God. So, as I was mentioning this morning, as I was ministering to our daughter church in Pakistan, I committed that I will be traveling to Pakistan next year in 2024. And I'll be looking to travel with two or three people that feel led to join me. It's not, it's not good for me to go alone, but it is good for me to commit and see what God is doing and strengthen those ties and meet our brothers and sisters in the Lord in person. I'll also be um, preparing another trip to Mexico. I don't know if you, you know, but we have three daughter churches in Mexico, two different, uh, two different general locations, one in Guanajuato um, that's being led by the Trejo family. They're a family that came to us about um, almost 20 years ago. The, the mother, the matriarch of the family, came here and established her sons and her whole family here at this church 20 years ago. She went back and start, they purchased property and started Misiones Venezuela two years ago. And then in DF, there are in, which is uh, the federal district of Mexico, we have two churches that are in Twin Cities that are pastored by the same person, Pastor Francisco, um, and they're related to Pastor Jorge Ortega from our Spanish service. And that church was birthed out of our discipleship group ministry five years ago. His family began to receive Christ through his discipleship and teaching straight from Los Angeles through video. And they came to Christ and they got to where there were 30 or 40 people deep in a, in a house. And they said, it's time for us to begin a church. So they, they separated and planted two churches, two other mission Ebenezers there in DF. Uh, and I'll be preparing uh, our trips to go down there as well um, to bring our greetings, our love, um, and a little bit of more of encouragement, if you know what I mean, of the financial kind. To, to all, all of the locations, we'll be doing that. Um, God is moving not just here, but he's moving around the world. And it's because he's given us a willing heart. He's given us a willing heart. We under, we're understanding our purpose. We're understanding our calling. And we're a blessed church. And we're not meant to keep all the blessings here. We're not meant to keep all of the resources here. We're not meant to keep all the finances here. As you can see, we, have, we own five acres here at, on this campus, in this, this area. And we only do that only by the grace of God. He continues to provide. And even with those great fiscal responsibilities, we will not 
stop doing what God has called us to do all around the world and supporting our brothers and sisters. Amen. Hallelujah. So praise the Lord. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 7. Today I'm going to teach the word of God. And I'm going to offer... The thoughts that the Lord has placed on my heart about this passage. Many are, who know the word of God are familiar with the passage in Romans chapter 7. And for those of us who are new to the word of God, are new to the book of Romans, don't worry. I'm going to speak in such a way that everybody will be able to understand what we're talking about today. What good is preaching or teaching if the listeners are lost? My father always has told me the best compliment any one of us could ever receive is when a child comes and communicates that they understood the message. That's when we know that we are doing our job properly. In Romans chapter 7, it's a portion of scripture that follows Paul's teaching on the importance of the believer to be renewed or regenerated through Jesus Christ. Regeneration comes as a result of salvation. Salvation is when somebody receives Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and chooses to trust and believe in Him. The Bible says if you believe with your heart, and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross and rose again on the third day, it says, then you shall be saved. And when you are saved, scripture is very clear, and you need to understand, very basically and very simply put, that is the beginning of your new life. That is the beginning of a rebirth. That's what we call being born again. And being born again is not in the physical sense. Being born again is in the spiritual sense. It means that you are renewed. It means that spiritually you become a new creation, a new creature. It means that the way we think has to now come through a different filter. And if we don't have that filter right away, and if we don't have the understanding, if we don't have the knowledge to understand who God is and who he has made us to be, then that is why he has given us the word of God. And the word of God is the law of God. Repeat after me. Say, the word of God is the law of God. The word of God, you guys, is the law of God. And the law of God is to be obeyed. The word of God is to be obeyed. If we as the church do not obey the word of God, then we are going off course. And we are starting to do things our way. We're starting to do things according to the wisdom of man. But the word of God, at every turn, brings us back to the word. Brings us back to Jesus. Brings us back to Father God. And so, the word is the law. 
King David in the Psalms, which is a book in the Old Testament, which was written approximately a thousand years before Jesus was born, speaks of the word of God as the law. On your own time, please go and read Psalm 119. We did daily devotionals through Psalm 119 earlier this year, encouraging the people of God to understand what his word or what his law is all about. And in chapter 7 of the book of Romans, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome, which was a budding church, a church that he had established, a church in a very well-established city, a very well-known city. One can say a city of many resources. You know, when people in the rural countryside are hard-pressed for jobs, hard-pressed to provide for their families, where do they often go? To the big cities where they can find work any work to make a living, support themselves, and to support their families back home. Much like many people do when they come to the United States of America, they call it the land of opportunity, the land of the free, to make a living and send money or resources back home, whether to Nigeria, whether to South America, whether to Asia, to the Philippines, to Samoa. Paul knew that establishing a church in Rome was going to be good for the early church. He knew that if he could establish a church in the city of Rome, in the country that we call Italy, that it would be a place where he could build up a strong church that would become part of the foundation and the pillars of the growing movement of Christianity. It was very strategic in how the Lord used the Apostle Paul to establish churches in various locations, just like God has established us, Mission Ebenezer. Here we are three generations later. The Lord has given us this property. The Lord has given us this land. The Lord has brought this people together so that we might be used in the greater plan of redemption around the world for the Lord's purposes and for his glory. Paul understood that. But Paul wasn't driven by money. He wasn't driven by economics, but he was no fool. Jesus also understood the significance of money, finances. People had to finance Jesus' ministry. People had to finance Paul's missionary journeys. Paul was creative and used tent making as well to assist him in his travels and to set up shop wherever he went with the men that were a part of his ministry so he can continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to bring the salvation message of, of our Lord. So Paul was a very wise man. And he was teaching here at the church in Rome to a very diverse crowd. 
a people that were comprised of Jews or the people of Israel, the people of God, and Gentiles, people who were not Jewish. The people who were Jewish were raised in the Word of God, what we call the Old Testament. The Law of Moses, which is the first five books of the Bible. The Wisdom Literature, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and then the Prophets. Paul leaned on all of these scriptures. We're going to read this passage right here, and I'm giving us a little bit of understanding so that you can follow along. And when we read and when we see certain words, you can understand what those words mean. Verse 1 of chapter 7. It says, Do you not know, brothers, and this, by this he means brothers and sisters or brethren, for I am speaking to men who know the law. That the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. Now is Paul here talking about the law of the land or is he talking about the Jewish religious law? He's talking about what, church? The Jewish law. Verse 2. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. Now, we just read a couple of verses that are referencing marriage. This is not, however, a teaching on marriage. Although it's a, an illustration that Paul is using, a common illustration that everybody can understand that will allow him to communicate the principles or the importance of what he is talking about here when, he, when he's mentioning the law of God. Let's continue. So he says, you guys, he uses a woman as the example. He could have used a man as well. But in those days, you need to understand, whether you like it or not, that whenever a man and a woman were married, the woman was his property. And we don't like that, and I don't think that's good, and I don't think that's right. And thank God we've come a long way from that. Amen, brothers and sisters? Amen. Hallelujah. So this is why Paul uses this metaphor and in this way. He says that... A woman, in this case, so long as her husband is alive, is technically still married. But as soon as the man dies, or if the woman dies, then they are not bound to one another by that spiritual covenant or that the law of marriage. But that they are now free to remarry should they choose. He says, but if the two people or the two individuals are, remain alive and they separate... Technically, according to the spiritual law of Moses that was given to the people of Israel, they remain married spiritually and are not technically spiritually allowed 
according to the law of Moses, to remarry another person or to be with another person if they're separated. And in doing so, they would be breaking the law of Moses. And yes, committing adultery. So what Paul is saying here, because he's trying to get us to understand the importance and the significance of the law of Moses. We're going we're gonna to keep seeing what, what he's talking about. Verse 4. So my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to one another, uh, excuse me, belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. Somebody say, bear fruit. For when we were controlled by the simple nature, the simple passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what was once bound, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Let me explain what he's saying here. In the first six chapters of the book of Romans, Paul is trying to communicate to the Jews the significance of living according to a new law, and that was according to the law of grace, according to the law of Jesus Christ. When Jesus came, he broke the shackles or the bondage or the, the burdens that the people of God were carrying under the law of Moses. The law of Moses, what it did was it demonstrated, it exposed, and it showed us where we go wrong as humans. It showed us where we have come in opposition with God or how we became enemies with God. The law was meant to demonstrate to us how imperfect we are. The law was given to the people of God to prepare a people and to provide a way for salvation. Now, I'm leaving you some crumbs so you can start to feel it in your heart and, and you can start to, to feel it in your spirit. What God is trying to get us to see here and understand. God used the law in order to establish a people, create a people, and to build a pipeline that would one day to build a womb. Can I, somebody say a womb? That would one day make a way for salvation. Now, in our faith, a word that is synonymous with salvation is Jesus. God chose Abraham and his lineage as the people of faith to produce Messiah, to produce a savior, to produce the perfect sacrifice, to, to establish the plan for redemption for all creation, for all humanity, for humankind. And that was what the law was meant to fulfill, to establish, to produce. God used Joseph and Mary, Joseph being the father, not biologically, but the man on this earth and his lineage, according to King David, to establish a kingdom that would be established forever. And that is the, the kingdom that Jesus established, the kingdom of heaven. 
It's the kingdom of God. And Mary, her physical body, establishing a way for God to make a perfect sacrifice that one of us would take our places on the cross and make a way for salvation, make a way for us to be reconciled. Why do we need to be reconciled? We needed to be made one with God again because the law had demonstrated how imperfect and how full of fault and error we are. We were, we are, and how we will continue in that same way. So Paul is demonstrating here, though, that the people of Israel or the Jews worship the law to the point that instead of continuing to have the great expectation in their hearts for Messiah, they couldn't see the trees for the forest or the forest for the trees. You know what I mean. They didn't recognize Jesus when he came. So these first four, seven verses of chapter 7 are demonstrating to us a very, very important thing for our walks with, with the Lord. And that's this. Now that God has provided a way for us to be made one again with Father God through his son, Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty and who was the atonement for our sins. The word atonement simply means the process of becoming at one, atone, at one, at one meant. Jesus, who is God himself, whom Mary conceived in her womb, God united both heaven and earth and made a way so that Jesus would be the fulfillment of all the law. But not so that the law would completely be discarded. Not so that the law of God or the law of Moses would completely be eliminated. No. What Paul is saying here is that the law is still important. It's still necessary. Because it demonstrates and it shows us in our lives the fact that we need a Savior. It shows us that we are imperfect. Let's continue in this chapter. So we can see right here how he continues to explain what we're starting to touch on. So oftentimes people think that, oh, we don't need the law anymore. We got grace. We don't need a tithe anymore. That was Old Testament. That was different law. You know, now we're under grace. Oh, man, there's a whole lot in here that you're missing if you think that we're not supposed to include the Old Testament with the New Testament as the full canon, as the full standard, as the full word of God. We're missing out on a whole lot. And a matter of fact, it's probably why we're limping with Jesus instead of walking with him. We're hopping with him, hopping along, struggling in our, in our, in our journey with him because we're missing half the, the picture. Just because you're a Christian and you're saved by the blood of Jesus and saved by grace, it doesn't mean that you, we can go on living in disobedience. Oh, we'll get there. 
Man, y'all are, li- y'all are liking the, 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 the hard, tough coaching. I love it. So are we all together so far? Let's go. Verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Because, right, everybody talks about the law was no longer good. It's not necessary. It's not needed. No, he's just like, let's reframe it. Jesus even had a whole lot of things to say about the law. He was just trying to get people to understand, yes, the law is good. And, yes, it does say that. But guess what? There is something bigger at work here that you need to see. Open your eyes. Open your spiritual eyes and see. Open your heart to the Spirit of God so that you can understand. Certainly not. He says, look, indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what, co- what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. Don't covet your neighbor. Don't covet your neighbor's Lamborghini. Don't covet your, your neighbor's house. So Paul is saying, the law of God was meant to demonstrate and to show us what obedience and what walking with God looks like, what it should look like, and how we can live a life here on this earth while obeying the word of God so that we can experience the fullness of blessings, the fullness and the abundance of salvation. And so that you and I, in our marriages, in our lives, with our families, and our children, with our friends, with our neighbors, with the world, we can experience God's best idea of order and purpose and creation. He's like, I'm, I'm going to put it all right here in the Word of God. And if you want to understand how to live, come get to know my Word. And you're going you're gonna to learn how to live according to the Word of God. But you're going to see what, what, what else. Watch. He says, but sin, seizing the opportunity, verse 8, afforded by the, co- the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive, apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. So in other words, he's saying this. The commandment, the the Ten Commandments and all 613 of the the commandments that are in the, the law of Moses that people had to try and keep. All of these things are showing us. What is considered sin in the eyes of God? But what Paul is saying right here is this. Those are all meant to demonstrate for us how to live a full life in the kingdom of heaven. But once you find out that you can't keep the law, once you find out that every sin that we commit truly requires the wrath of God or death, that's what Paul said right there in those first few verses, Death is actually what we experience when we're under the law. Somebody say under the law. When we're bound to the law. Somebody say bound to the law. Somebody say enslaved to the law. In other words, it's saying don't worship the law because the law is only good to an extent. Because God has a better plan, he said. Jesus came to demonstrate the better plan. 
that you don't have to die anymore because of your sin. We don't have to kill a, a bull. We don't have to sacrifice a calf. We don't have to kill a, a goat. We don't have, we, if, if, if you don't have that much money, you don't got to kill a pigeon. I'm serious. People used to judge each other back, back in those days. Oh, look, there's, they're sacrificing a, a dove this year. Times must be rough. <laughs> they used to judge each other. But what Paul is saying right here, he's just like, I want you to understand that. I'm not telling you to completely get rid of the law. He's talking to the Jews. He's like, and those who were not Jewish, you guys, guess what? They didn't have the Hebrew law to live by. They didn't live according to the Hebrew law because they were some other, they were from some other country, some other nation, some other tribe. Maybe, maybe they had, they worshiped pagan gods. Maybe their philosophy was their religion. The law is good to an extent because it helps us, but it could hurt us. And there's a reason why Jesus came to deal with that hurt. Jesus came to help us deal with the, the pain and the harsh reality that when we do sin, when we do break the law of God, we suffer consequences. Divorce. It's hurt, it hurts and it's painful and it's ugly and we suffer the consequences of all of those things. How I many, you, know, you know what I'm talking about? When we call people out of their name, we yell, we're angry, we're hateful. We break the law of God. We suffer the consequences by the way that we live. We see all of the the natural order of God when we're living in contradiction or contrary to the word of God. But the good news is, somebody say the good news. The good news is, you guys, that we can use the law for what it was meant to be used for and we can hitch our trailer onto the Jesus train and we can thank the Lord for his blood and we can thank the son of God for coming to this earth to die for our sins so that we don't have to live in that kind of condemnation. We don't have to live in that self-hate anymore. We don't have to live in that, in that place of self-loathing. We don't have to live in that place of, of, of self-condemnation or being condemned by God. And that's the beauty of Jesus. That's the beauty of the Son. He says it's holy, it's righteous, and it's good. Let's go verse 13. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good. So that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. So the, he's like, you guys, don't, don't, don't get it twisted, he said. Don't get it twisted. I'm no longer shackled to the law of Moses, but I, the law of Moses is still useful for me in my life. Because it's going to help me live a more full 
life with Jesus and with my brothers and sisters, with my friends, my family, even my foes. Verse 13, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, Paul says, sold as a slave to sin. I don't understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. How many of you say amen? amen. We all know what that's like, right, you guys? Verse 16, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. He's like, don't get it twisted. Don't be shackled. Don't be in bondage to the law, but let it guide you. Let it be helpful to you. Let it be useful to your walk with Jesus. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Tell the truth, Paul. Now he's he's starting to go into his experiential life, which is he's drawing and, and using to, to make some theological conclusions for himself. So it, the, when I was reading this scripture, guess what, you guys? You know what, what struck me was Paul was still working it out himself. Paul was still trying to bring his mind and his life and his heart into alignment with what this man named Jesus of Nazareth was doing. Paul was still trying to understand and what, when the teachings of Jesus and the things that he had heard about him being the fulfillment of the law of Moses or when Jesus trashed the law of Moses, what did he mean? Does he mean completely remove yourself from the law? Paul's saying, huh, what's going on here? And, and, and it, it, it struck me. And Judah, my son, was two. He had fallen at, at, at a young age and tipped one of his teeth right here. And, and it snapped off at the top, at the, at the ridge of his gums. And they had to go and pull the rest of his, the root of his tooth out. And then a couple months later, he jumped off of a bed and onto his big, his big brother, Tiger, who was about four and a half, six years old. And Judah's other tooth uh, slammed right into Elisha's Tiger's knee when he put his knee up and it broke the other tooth. So um, Judah had two missing teeth for like five, six years of his life. And every S that he said sounded like this. Yeah. And Judah was there. He was little. And he was sitting in his, in his, in his uh, high chair at the, at the dinner table. And, and we had brought some chicken home. And, and I was coming home late after practice. And I was grubbing and I was eating kind of a late meal. Judah was up with me and he was sitting at the end of the table in his high chair. And Judah, I don't know if you know Judah, but Judah buff. Judah's born like a muscle. Judah got, Judah got muscles on his teeth. He's just, Jude, my 14-year-old, I mean, it's like, anyway. Judah's had his shirt off and he's a baby and he's in his high chair and he's just like, He's just ripped. And I look over, and Judah was like, Judah was like three years old, and he had a chicken bone. And I looked down over at Judah, and Judah had the whole chicken bone in his mouth, chewing on, on the sides of his teeth, because he had no teeth right here in the front, you know? You're like, how you like? And he was just grinding that bone. He, he, he was just tearing off the ligaments and the tendons. On the, and he, was, he was chewing through it. He just, he just ate all the way. There. And I looked at his plate. And Judah had, had cleaned off like three or four chicken bones. And all you saw was just the wessel. 
All you saw was like the, the bone. You could see the bone marrow at the edge of the bones that Judah had just been crunching through. How many of you guys eat, like to eat the hard, crunchy part of the bone? Isn't that good? If it's cooked the right way, you could kind of chew through and eat some of the bone, right? But the best part is, is all the meat and the crispy edges and the tendons, you know, from wing stop. Yeah, where are you going with this, Pastor? You, take, you eat all, you eat all the meat off the bone, and then you, you get rid of the bone. You get rid of the bone. You take, you take and you eat everything that is useful, helpful, good. I mean, you can even make some bone marrow soup if you want and just mm, get every last bit of that thing out of there. And then you throw the bones away. You give them the dogs. You can do whatever you want with them. That's what Paul's saying. Take all the meat off the bone. Take everything you, you, you can out of the law of Moses that, he, that God gave to us for your good, for our good, for the benefit of the church, for his people, for a spiritual people, a people that are built by faith, a people by, that are built by, by trust, a people that are built through obedience, a people that are shaped and formed by all the good stuff. But the death, the wrath that Jesus dealt with, Jesus, told me, throw them bones over here to me. I'll take them for you. Give me the bones. I know I could do with them. There's another, another way that people put, don't throw the baby out with what? The bathwater. You know what that means? Don't throw the whole baby out. No, you keep the baby and you throw the, the stuff out that you don't need. If you're in the agricultural business, you... You sift things out, you get rid of the chaff, and you take the stuff that's heavy, that's of substance, that is good, that is useful for you, for me. What is everything that is good? Paul's saying the law is still good. It's still beneficial. Not to condemn you, not to bring the wrath of God and death upon you. We're going to have to suffer through the consequences of our own actions, our own decisions. But guess what? He says, but I'm going to make a way. I'm going to make a way for new life. I'm going to make a way. I'm going to make a way. Verse 21, he says, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. How many of you delight in the law of God, you guys? But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members, Paul says. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hallelujah. That's a place to clap, church. That's a place to stand up. That's a place to give glory and praise to him right now. Paul says, so then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin no longer. Hallelujah. 
Jesus made a way. Oh, ratchet and wretched people that we are. What I love about Paul, he was working it out right here as he was writing. He reflected on the law of God, the law of Moses, the law of grace. And he was convicted in his heart to be honest and start to use the word ego in Greek, I. He starts, started to speak with, from a first person Telling on himself, explaining how all of us are hypocrites to a degree. To be honest, all of us. But we're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful that Jesus made a way. The truth serum was at work right here in Paul. Huh? It was making its way through his veins. Let's all stand. Hallelujah. In other words, Watch this, church. Our pasts, our mistakes, we use them, don't we? You don't forget about them. Oh, I don't even want to remember that. I don't want to think about that anymore. No, you need to. That's what Paul's saying. That's what the law, the law did was useful for him to see, to recognize, to remember. So that it helps us in our present, in our future. Amen? Amen? Finally, this last verse that stood out to me out of Matthew 22, 37, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Watch. Love your neighbor as yourself. Watch this. All the law, he says in Matthew twenty two thirty seven. 37. He said, all the law. Somebody say all the law. And the prophets, say and the prophets. Hang on these two commandments. So was Jesus telling us that the law of Moses is no longer useful or helpful? No. He's like, it's just redeemed. It's just reframed. Use everything that God has allowed you to go through for good. Use every hurt, every pain, every mistake, everything that you have gone through, use it for God's glory to help you, to help me. So we don't make those same mistakes, hopefully, anymore. Amen? Amen. So when we disobey the Lord, church, Remember chapter 7, Paul burying his heart before us and saying, I'm right there with you. When we fail, you guys, and we fall short, 
Don't condemn yourself. Run swiftly to the cross. Run swiftly to the feet of Jesus because he's got your back. And he'll be right there to meet you every time. Every time. The man falls seven times. Seven times he must get up. Can I hear an amen? Hallelujah. Father God, we thank you and we love you and we praise you, oh God, for your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the teaching that our brother Paul gave to us, the church of Los Angeles, the church all around the world, really. We thank you, Father God, that we are dead to sin and we're alive in Christ through salvation that we have received by putting our trust in you, Jesus. You've given us another chance. You've given us another opportunity, Father God. And that's the reason why we worship you. That's the reason why we praise. That's the reason why we say, Father God, there is none like you. That's the reason why we say, Father God, only you are worthy. That's the reason why we say, Father God, we praise you. We glorify your name, Father God. And when Lord Jesus, we ask you, Father God, to bring that resurrection power into our lives. Even today, as we leave this place, we pray this in Jesus' name. The people of God said, the people of God said, amen. Hey.